from this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We'll take this country and make it great again. We are engaged in an information war. We, we are in an information war, and we are losing that war. Everybody like hey. Are you ready to go? Welcome back to the America First podcast, everyone. This podcast, as always, brought to you by we the people of the United States, who, in order to form a more perfect union, elected Donald Trump president back in November. This podcast is loved by patriots. It's loved by fans of America. It's hated by the globalists. It's hated by the deep state. And ladies and gentlemen, what a show we have for you today, a little late night Tuesday, early morning Wednesday edition of the America First podcast. We're going to be talking about Jeff Sessions. The attorney general has drawn the ire of the president. We're also going to be talking about new communications director, Anthony Scaramucci. We'll be talking about the economy and how great the economy is doing, in particular, the stock market since Donald Trump has been elected president. And we'll also be talking about how that happiness, that optimism has bled into the general public. President Trump, as he is wont to do, has been taking to Twitter early in the mornings and his target lately has been Attorney General Jeff Sessions. President Trump called the Attorney General beleaguered on Monday and on Tuesday he went even further saying that Attorney General Jeff Sessions has taken a, all caps here, very weak position on Hillary Clinton crimes. In parentheses, he puts, where are emails and DNC server and intel leakers? Uh, President Trump also spoke about Attorney General Sessions earlier today, saying that um, he's disappointed in the Attorney General and former Senator from Alabama Sessions, and time will tell how long he lasts as Attorney General. So a little background on Jeff Sessions. He was the first U.S. Senator to support Donald Trump's presidency. He took the stage with Trump at an Alabama rally in the fall of, of 2015. I think it was in November of 2015 to endorse the president. At this time, no one in Washington, D.C. took Donald Trump's bid for the presidency seriously. So Don, uh, so Jeff Sessions, then Senator Sessions, throwing his support behind Trump was big at the time. But, so Sessions, he does have America First bona fides. He actually wrote an excellent op-ed column in USA Today just a few days after Trump clinched the nomination for the Republican presidential ticket back in early May of 2016, where he uh, wrote about the three uh, nationalist policies in particular that President Trump has, specifically on the border, immigration, on the economy, and trade, putting uh, America first and getting rid of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, renegotiating NAFTA, uh, standing up for American workers against the globalist and the globalized industries. 
And the third area being foreign policy and America first foreign policy, which President Trump has obviously implemented. Unfortunately, Sessions has appeared a bit spineless as far as recusing himself from the quote-unquote Russia collusion uh, investigation. Trump spoke on that in the New York Times interview last week. We talked about this on the last America First podcast. Just a refresher. Here's an excerpt from that New York Times interview. Trump saying, look, Sessions gets the job. Right after he gets the job, he recuses himself. He was then asked by a New York Times columnist or reporter, was that a mistake? Trump says, well, Sessions should have never recused himself. And if he was going to recuse himself, he should have told me before he took the job and I would have picked somebody else. Maggie Haberman, New York Times reporter, then asks, he gave you no heads up at all in any sense? Trump says, zero. So Jeff Sessions takes the job, gets into the job, recuses himself. I then have, which frankly, I think is very unfair to the president. How do you take a job and then recuse yourself? If he would have recused himself before the job, I would have said, thanks, Jeff, but I can't. You know, I'm not going to take you. It's extremely unfair, and that's a mild word to the president. So he recuses himself, and I then end up with a second man who's a deputy. Haberman says, Rosenstein. Trump says, who is he? And Jeff hardly knew he's from Baltimore. So you're talking about the Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, who is now in charge of the Russia investigation. He appointed Special Counsel Mueller after the Comey memo leaked. So Trump is not happy with how Jeff Sessions handled this whole recusal business of the Russia investigation. And I agree. I think it was a spineless move by Sessions to recuse himself. If Sessions had no contact with any members of the Russian government outside of his duties as a U.S. senator, then he has no reason to recuse himself. He just did that to placate the globalist in Washington, including his fellow Republican former, he's a former senator, but his fellow Republicans on Capitol Hill, uh, including John McCain and Lindsey Graham, who, of course, they want to do everything they can to take down Donald Trump. Sessions is a Trump supporter, and he's done good things on uh, immigration enforcement, uh, closing the border, protecting the border, deporting uh, illegal immigrants who are here and have committed felonies. So uh, Sessions, he does have America first bona fides, but he has, he has not shown the spine that the POTUS is looking for in an attorney general. And that was obvious from Trump's comments to, to the New York Times a week ago. And um, I uh, put down some thoughts. Here's what I'll say. I say Trump needs to force Sessions to resign and bring in someone whose agenda includes, number one, investigating the Clinton criminal cartel, including answering the question, who killed Seth Rich, as well as John Podesta's crimes against children and humanity, and Podesta, his brother, and Hillary's dealings with the Russians, i.e. the Uranium One deal, where they sold something like 20% of the USA's uranium stockpile to the Russians. You want to talk about Russian collusion, what's more of a collusion than that? Also, the new AG Attorney General must also continue Sessions' laudatory job of enforcing immigration laws and deporting illegal immigrants who commit serious crimes and should not be in our country. And if the new attorney general is serious about reducing opioid and heroin addiction and overdoses, deaths, as Trump says he is, the new attorney general should consider legalizing the far less dangerous plant, which the government calls a drug, 
known as marijuana. So time will tell how long Jeff Sessions lasts as attorney general, though I wouldn't bet the farm on him lasting more than a month or two. And speaking of new hires in the White House, Press Secretary Sean Spicer is on his way out. He'll stick around until August. But the new press secretary is going to be Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the daughter of Mike Huckabee. She's been the deputy press secretary for a while now. And her new boss, replacing Spicer as the White House communications director, Spicer held the role of press secretary and communications director, will be Anthony Scaramucci. So a little background on Scaramucci. He's a former Goldman Sachs investment banker. He's been to the World Economic Forum 10 times, and I was reading earlier today that his uh, wine party is uh, the toast of the town in Davos, apparently. Uh, Scaramucci is very friendly with uh, Reince Priebus. Um, he does have a working-class background, though. His uh, father grew up middle class and has become uh, wildly successful. Um, so that's, that's something that works to his advantage, in my opinion. Like I said, he's very friendly with Reince Priebus, but earlier Tuesday... Scaramucci fired one of Priebus's aides in an attempt to get rid of the leakers in the White House. That story is on Infowars.com. So Scaramucci is a longtime Republican donor, but he's not really a longtime Trump supporter. He did not support Trump at the beginning of the primaries, although once he became a Trump supporter, he was a very fervent Trump supporter. But early on, he even... Uh, challenged Donald Trump to a fight during the primaries in uh, late 2015 before voting began, um, criticized him uh, for his comments against Megyn Kelly, uh, among other things. Um, but like I said, once he became a Trump supporter, he was on board. He was Once he got on the Trump train, he has not gotten off, similar to Kellyanne Conway in that way. So I'll give him a pass for that. But he's a longtime Republican donor and former Goldman Sachs banker, so he does have that globalist background, even though he grew up uh, middle class. So here's a, a little something interesting about Scaramucci. He attended the World Economic Forum. Like I said, he's been there 10 times. The 10th time was this past January. Now, that's an, a globalist event in Davos, Switzerland where uh, the, the richest, the, the uh, CEOs of the banks and the big corporations, the, uh, the higher-ups in government and uh, non-governmental organizations that uh, run the world, the globalist organizations, uh, they get together in, in Switzerland and, you know, they ski and they drink their wine and they eat their cheese and they discuss problems that are, you know, above our pay grade for us, uh, us simple folk, I guess you could say. But uh, so Scaramucci, he told the crowd in Davos that, quote, Trump could be one of the last great hopes for globalization. So we talked about the difference between globalization and globalism in the past. And I am very anti-globalists, but I understand that globalization as an economic system, it's here to stay. So globalization is what allows Nike to make their shoes in China with slave labor. It's what allows Apple to make their computers in Asia with slave labor at the Foxconn facilities. But globalism are the political mechanizations that allow globalization to happen 
and that also benefit the very top, the 1% or the elite, as you want to call them, the elite of the elite, the 0.1% really, that benefit them more than everyone. Uh, And that's done through politics. So we the people, we don't have much control over the big, large-scale economics in our world, but we do have the power to control our political destiny. That's one reason why we elected Donald Trump, to put America first. And that is is a message that Scaramucci, in his own way, did convey to the crowd in Davos. He said that the problem with the economy, especially in America, is low middle-class wages. So in Scaramucci's view, the middle class is not earning enough, and I would have to agree with that. So Scaramucci is fighting for globalization, which has made the wealthiest among us even wealthier, and it was thought that that wealth would trickle down to the rest of us. So this globalization, it was thought that the first world would influence the third world, and it would bring them up to the first world's level. But really what it's done is... It's brought the first world down to a second world. It's brought the third world, parts of it, up to a second world. And that's what they're looking for is this global equality. That doesn't put America first, folks. Back to Scaramucci. He said at Davos, by working to regenerate America's dying middle class, Trump could paradoxically end up saving globalization. Quote, if you can create rising wages in America you can create more purchasing power. And that virtuous circle of consumption will lead to global trade and it will lead to more global peace and more global prosperity. So that's a very, very glass half full, very glass half full way to look at things. Scaramucci is a very upbeat guy, very positive guy. He also told China at Davos, now this is three days before Trump was inaugurated, January 17th of this year, He told China that Trump did not want to start a trade war with China, that he doesn't want to tear apart NATO, and that he doesn't want to see an end to the EU, but to simply reform the out-of-touch institution. So we'll go by that, uh, go through that step by step. Uh, He told China that Trump did not want to start a trade war. That has been reflected over and over again. That's that's, uh, very easy to see. That's a simple Trump theme. We don't want a trade war with China but we want fair trade and we want better trade deals for the American worker. Doesn't want to tear NATO apart. So this, this was a big issue earlier in the year when president Trump was uh, visited NATO in Europe and president Trump forced the leaders in NATO, the countries in Europe to pay their fair share. Uh, I think they owe something like two to 3% of their GDP every year has to go toward NATO defense And during the Obama and Bush years, those countries in Europe, they weren't paying their fair share. Those deadbeat globalists were allowing America to to foot the bill. So I was glad to see President Trump over there forcing the countries that are a part of NATO to pay for the protection provided by NATO. As far as reforming the European Union goes, I personally would like to see the EU dissolved completely and let the nation states control their own destiny. You're seeing the George Soros influence in Eastern Europe, particularly Hungary, Poland, Slovakia, one more that make up the Visegrad Four. Those countries 
are taking matters back into their own hands, especially when it comes to immigration. They don't want the open borders. They don't want the Muslims inhabiting their country, taking over like they have in Sweden, like they have in Italy, like they have in France to a degree. In fact, it's, there are so many Muslims in France that the Jewish populations have completely left the country. They've gone to Israel. They've moved to Israel, their homeland, their motherland, because of the, they don't feel safe with the high numbers of Muslims. In France, you see, we've had a lot of attacks from Muslims in uh, the UK, in Britain recently, in London, and Manchester. So I don't know how good of, of an idea the EU is long term. I think that the, uh, the British did the right thing by exiting. And of course, Trump was a fan of that. Uh, and he called his election Brexit plus, plus, plus. So um, I think at his core, Trump is uh, anti-globalist, even though he's hired the uh, ostensibly globalist Scaramucci. Uh, interestingly, another thing that uh, Scaramucci told the crowd in Davos is that President Trump wants an independent Federal Reserve and uh, I saw an article earlier today on Infowars.com about how President Trump wants to audit the Fed. And auditing the Fed is something that Ron Paul has been talking about for years. And it's something that really needs to be done because the Federal Reserve is a cabal. It is a cabal in the truest sense of the word. Uh, none of those people at the Federal, Federal Reserve are elected. Uh, they control monetary policy. But who do they answer to, really? It's not the American people. It seems to be their globalist overlords at the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. So I would love to see an independent Federal Reserve that is audited as we move further into the Trump presidency. So Scaramucci seems to understand Trump's base as well as the problems with globalism and globalization, but he doesn't appear to want to deconstruct the globalist system. Rather, he wants to reform it into something that benefits the American people more than it does now. Uh, in my opinion, he is a better, more effective communicator than Sean Spicer. And since he's been on Team Trump, as I said earlier, for more than a year now, he's been very loyal and even had this to say at his introductory press briefing. But here's what I tell you about the president. He's the most competitive person I've ever met. Okay, I've seen this guy throw a dead spiral through a tire. I've seen him at Madison Square Garden with a top coat on. He's standing in the key and he's hitting foul shots and swishing them, okay? He sinks three-foot putts. I don't see this guy as a guy that's ever under siege. This is a very, very competitive person. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of incoming that comes into the White House, but the president's a winner, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to do a lot of winning. We're going to do a lot of winning, Mr. Scaramucci. That's something I can get behind. Also, I love the praise of the president who can hit three-foot putts, who can throw a tire or throw a football through a tire, hitting free throws at Madison Square Garden with a trench coat on. I love that. Uh, a little bit more about Scaramucci. My gut says that Scaramucci is a car salesman, but a highly successful one. Not a sleazy used car salesman that will sell you a hunk of junk or a can of snake oil. He will push the president's message effectively and I'm hoping the best for him as communications director at the White House. And I also hope that Chief Strategist Steve Bannon can influence the messaging that Scaramucci puts out there as much or more than the globalists in the White House, such as Gary Cohn, Steve Mnuchin, and Jared Kushner, who spent a couple of days on Capitol Hill this week.
but we won't get into all of that. Money, money, money. All right. Now, I'm not an economic expert by any means, but the stock markets keep hitting record highs every day, it seems, since the president was elected. The S&P 500 closed at a record high on Tuesday at 2,477.13. The NASDAQ closed at a record high as well at 6412.17. Speaking of the NASDAQ, uh, as of Last Friday, 73% of the companies on the NASDAQ had reported that their earnings beat estimates. Uh, 77% of the companies topped sales estimates, that according to data from FactSet. The Dow Jones Industrial Average also keeps hitting record highs, closing Tuesday at 21,613.43. There's also a higher demand for new homes then there is a supply this is causing home prices to increase a sign of a healthy economy uh, president trump tweeted out some facts about the economy this past week earlier this week 91.4 percent of manufacturers have a positive economic outlook 80 percent of manufacturers say the president's actions on regulations are headed in the right direction so the record high economic optimism that President Trump bought, brought into office has carried over past the six-month mark. And as he said during the campaign, jobs, jobs, jobs. I was also reading earlier in the week that we have uh, a record low uh, number of people on welfare as far as food stamps is concerned for the, for the millennium since the year 2000. We have the fewest number of people on food stamps. So... Good times all around. Now, I don't think it will last. I mean, obviously, um, all these bubbles will burst. Hopefully, President Trump can steer us away from another economic downturn. But uh, it's, there's positive signs all around for the economy. But you know what they say, if you own stocks, sell them when they're at their highest. Sell them when they're at their apex. Buy them when they're at their lowest. Sell high, buy low. It doesn't get much higher. I mean, you know what? Maybe it could. Maybe the stock market could go to 25000 Maybe it could go to 22000 tomorrow. Maybe it could go to 30000 in a year. So, hey, maybe we haven't reached the, the high point yet. But uh, as they say, sell high and buy low. down you move too fast you got to make the morning last just kicking down the cobblestones looking for fun and feeling groovy welcome back to the america first podcast this podcast is now going to talk about People feeling groovy. People are happy. That economic optimism we talked about in the last segment has translated 
into general optimism by the American people. The Washington Examiner reports that a new Rasmussen report survey, one of the very few reliable polling groups out there, says that 74% of adults rate their lives as either good or excellent. The highest level of satisfaction ever recorded by the survey. The poll found 61% of adults felt that way in 2010 and 67% felt that way in 2014. The number this year, again, 74% of adults rating their lives as good or excellent. Only 5% in this year's poll rated their life as poor. So I hope you're having a great summer. I hope you're having a great year. Ever since President Donald Trump took office, it's been uh, sunshine and good times for me. I hope you can say the same. And if not, well, we enjoy drinking your liberal tears. And we'll be right back with the American Terrorist of the Week. And here's a hint. It's a whole group of them, and they are working against the president. This week's American Terrorist of the Week goes to every globalist in the deep state working on a silent coup or possibly even a straight-up coup d'etat against President Trump. Our story here comes from Zero Hedge, written by Tyler Durden on July 25th. Headline, former CIA director calls for a coup if Trump fires Mueller. In the most vocal opposition to President Donald Trump, yet former CIA Director John Brennan said that if the White House tries to fire special counsel Robert Mueller, government officials should refuse to follow the president's orders as they would be, in his view, inconsistent with the duties of the executive branch. The article goes on, I think it's the obligation of some executive branch officials to refuse to carry that out, John Brennan said. I would just hope that this is not going to be a partisan issue. The Republicans, Democrats are going to see that the future of this government is at stake and something needs to be done for the good of the future, Brennan told CNN's Wolf Blitzer at the Aspen Security Forum, effectively calling for a coup against the president should Trump give the order to fire Mueller. Brennan appeared alongside his former colleague, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper, both men served in the Obama administration. Clapper, of course, is a known perjurer. He lied to Congress about their collection of our data. That's right. Congress has all of our data, all of our metadata, which lets them know the phone numbers that you've been calling and texting. They have the content of these messages and recordings of all um, conversations. Of course, they can't use that in court, but they can use the metadata. And they can actually put together a better puzzle about who you are, your personality, what websites you visit, what your interests are, how you spend your free time, where you are. They can track the location by the GPS on your phone. James Clapper was instrumental in setting up all of this and letting it grow, expanding it under Obama. So I see Clapper and Brennan as American terrorists anyway for uh, going against the Constitution and particularly the Fourth Amendment, which says that we the people have the right not to be searched and seized 
That's the Fourth Amendment. They cannot take our property. They cannot enter our home. They should not be able to enter our personal electronic devices without a warrant. But they do it all the time, and they do it in the guise of fighting terrorism anyway. So it looks like uh, Brennan's calling for a coup, and he's calling for Republicans and Democrats to join together. So it's uh, clear that this is the globalist message they want to send out. Of course, Wolf Blitzer, CNN's chief globalist anchor, was on stage interviewing these two Obama rejects, uh, I call them rejects, the rejects of the system. Uh, Trump did not uh, allow either of them to stay on. Uh, we'll go on, read some more here. Brennan, um, he said, absolutely, it was uh, uh, talking about Mueller, saying they have absolute confidence in him. Absolutely, it was an inspired choice. They don't come any better, Brennan said, adding that if Mueller is fired, I hope our elected representatives will stand up and say enough is enough. Some have responded with questions where Brennan's devotion to the Constitution was in the aftermath of the events in Benghazi. Falling back on his neocon roots, James Clapper, who has waged a long-running vendetta with Trump, once again warned about Russian interference in U.S. affairs when asked about the June 2016 meeting between Donald Trump Jr., Jared Kushner, Paul Manafort, with a Russian lawyer and others. He responded, I'm an old-school Cold War warrior and all that, so I have... There's truth in advertising, great suspicions about the Russians and what they do. A lot of this, to me, it kind of the standard textbook tradecraft long deployed by Russians. It would have been a really good idea to maybe have vetted whoever they were meeting with. And this just it's just real hypocrisy coming out of James Clapper and John Brennan. Like Obama didn't try to interfere with the Israeli election a few years ago when Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was up for re-election. You go back to globalists. They've been interfering in foreign uh, elections for decades. George W. Bush, look at what he did down in South America, Colombia, Panama. Go even further back. Look at when we deposed the Shah of Iran in the 50s. Uh, that was Eisenhower's doing. It, but he was the, – the, you know, Eisenhower warned us of the military-industrial complex. This was pre-CIA, very beginning of the FBI. So uh, Eisenhower, he saw it coming. Um, and there's more to talk about when it comes to uh, globalists on Capitol Hill plotting to take out President Trump, according to Pastor, Pastor Rodney Howard Brown, who you may remember as the man who tweeted out that inspirational photo of many faith leaders as well as Vice President Pence praying for and with the president in the Oval Office not that long ago, a couple weeks ago. In fact, we'll play the clip uh, now of Pastor Howard Brown reporting on what he heard firsthand from an unnamed congressman who he says has been there since 1996. I, as high as what Monday was, Tuesday was a low because I got to go into the Congress and spend three hours from 9.30 in the evening to 12.30 a.m. with one of the senior ranking mem members of Congress. And he told me, and of course, this is what I said on CBN, but they cut it out. But I'm going to go public with this because we have to. He said, there is a plot on Capitol Hill to take the president out. I said, you mean by impeachment or by indictment? He said, no, to take him out. He will be removed suddenly from office. Well, you can read between the lines. I said, look, I said, that's not going to happen. He said, he said, well, really, there's nothing we can do to stop it. I said, we are going to stop it because we're going to mobilize the body of Christ to pray. So listen, they started a war. You know, they are so upset about what's happening because when, since when last has the body of Christ had access into the White House? It wasn't that way under Reagan. 
They might come and go a little bit. It wasn't that way under Clinton. It wasn't that way under both Bushes. And it definitely wasn't that way under Obama. But we have a president that's opened the door for the body of Christ. And that is, that is huge, whichever way you want to look at it. And let me tell you, you know, everybody's moaning Republican, Democrat. He actually is neither. He's, an, he's basically a populist that the American people voted for. They put a businessman in the White House because things are so fouled up. Well, if you want to really see fouled up, go to Congress and go sit and talk to the... He's been there since 96. So he knows everything, everything about what's going on. And I, tell you, I can tell you the games that are being played, how they're actually trying to set the president up. In every way. So, but when he told me what he said, that they're going to plan, they are planning, the talk on the Hill is the plan that suddenly he'll be removed. So there you hear it. There is a plot on Capitol Hill by congressmen and certainly higher ups in the deep, deep state to take out or assassinate President Donald Trump. We must remain vigilant for this. Of course, he has the finest fighters this side of the military, a lot of them former military and, and police in the uh, Secret Service. So they'll do everything they can to protect President Trump, I believe. I hope they're not involved in this coup d'etat. So we must remain vigilant on that. They're doing everything they can to try and get him impeached uh, through Congress. Of course, the Republicans in Congress for now have his back. Of course, Paul Ryan has proven to be a globalist traitor and a snake all the way uh, since the beginning of the campaign in 2015. So we must, like I said, remain vigilant, keep an eye out, and uh, let's just pray like Pastor uh, Brown said, Pastor Howard Brown, we must continue to pray for our president. And, um, you know, when was the last time Christ was in the White House? Maybe in the, in the George W. Bush administration, he seemed uh, to follow his spirit. But Maybe not. You know, these Bushes, they are globalists. And uh, I'm proud of President Trump for, uh, for putting America first. And, and one of my favorite quotes of his, I'll play it now. Uh, take, take a listen. America has always been the land of dreams because America is a nation of true believers. When the pilgrims landed at Plymouth, they prayed. When the founders wrote the Declaration of, of Independence, they invoked our Creator four times. Because in America, we don't worship government, we worship God. That is why our elected officials put their hands on the Bible and say, so help me God, as they take the oath of office. It is why our currency proudly declares, in God we trust. And it's why we proudly proclaim that we are one nation under God every time we say the Pledge of Allegiance. The story of America is the story of an adventure that began with deep faith, big dreams, and humble beginnings. Inspirational words by the president there. My favorite part. In America, we don't worship government. We worship God. And I think that is an excellent way to end the program today.
not many sports topics we could touch on. There is the uh, Kyrie and LeBron James. Uh, LeBron said he would beat Kyrie's ass if uh, because Kyrie demanded a trade, and it, it became public thanks to Stephen A. Smith. Uh, we could also talk about the New York Times report today, uh, talking about a study that showed that out of 110, uh, out of 111 brains examined of former NFL players, 110 of them showed signs of CTE or chronic traumatic encephalopathy, which is a degenerative brain disorder which affects a lot of football players. Uh, I'll touch on that briefly. I played football in high school. When you play football, you and I suffered a few concussions, uh, at least two that I can think of off the top of my head. When you play football, you know the risk. Every play, somebody could die. That's something that's drilled into you. That's why I was taught how to tackle properly uh, with the shoulder pad and with the arms. You wrap and you lower your shoulder into them. You don't use your helmet. You don't go in and Superman them, you know. But we had, of course, there was always going to be players that do that. There were players on my team that did that, safeties and linebackers. And I played some linebacker and some safety. And, you know, one of the concussions I had was when I lowered my head into a, a tight end. And, you know, I was seeing stars after that play. And it prevented a touchdown. I've got it on, the, uh, on a, a highlight video because it was such a great hit. But still, I woke up and I was like, what? Or I, I got up and I was like, what? You know, where am I? What happened? Did he catch it? You know, what's going on here? So football is an inherently dangerous sport. So is hockey, so is boxing, so is MMA. The fighters, the football players, the hockey players, they know these risks when they get into it. If they didn't want to deal with the risks, they could play golf. But there's injuries with golf, too. They could play basketball. You can get a concussion in basketball very easily by going up for a dunk or a layup, getting fouled, hacked to the ground, hit your head on the hardwood. You know, the hardwood is harder than the grass turf, but I tell you, that grass turf hurts, too, when you're getting tackled into it. But anyway, I digress. Another topic for another day. The players, they know what they're getting into. I enjoy football. I learned a lot playing football. Uh, leadership, teamwork, the importance of hard work and discipline and dedication and focus and taking things one play at a time and taking things one task at a time and camaraderie, getting along with people, working together towards a goal. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned in football, but there is a risk that comes with it. So that's all for today on the America First podcast. Thank you again for listening. Uh, check us out. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud. If you uh, check us out on iTunes, be sure to rate and review. We love those five-star ratings. And uh, on SoundCloud, tune in there too. I get a, a better stat count from SoundCloud than I do from iTunes. iTunes doesn't give me the exact numbers of people who listen to it on iTunes. I get an exact reading from SoundCloud. Either way you want to listen to it, it's fine by me. I'm rambling. Have a great week, and as always, from this day forward, it's only America First.